Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The thing that Julia understood besides teaching people about how to make French cuisine is how to enjoy life and culture the way the French did and how to dine. That it's not just about feeding yourself, it's about everything else that goes with it. I think that's really the added layer of Julia Child is when she turns around and empowers so many women because what she did was so extraordinary and unusual and she was just sort of driven by an idea and she knew what her idea was and it wasn't going to be any other way. I guess I'm driven by an idea in a similar fashion. I'm not saying I'm Julia Child, don't get me wrong. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I definitely knew I wanted to be an Iron Chef. I've always known that I wanted to cook and I've just sort of never let go of those simple ideas. Welcome to Homemade, where we love to uncover the stories behind our favorite recipes. I'm Marty Duncan. I'm just so happy to have you join me today as we honor truly one of the biggest names, if not the biggest influence in cooking, Julia Child. As a kid, I would often come home from school and turn on Julia, maybe the Galloping Gourmet or Justin Wilson. And as it turns out, so did many of today's most famous chefs. If you can believe it, this year marks the 60th anniversary of her first book, Mastering the Art of French Cooking, which inspired the popular 2009 movie, Julie and Julia, with Meryl Streep as Julia. The book is still regarded as one of the most essential cookbooks to own, and like an heirloom cast iron skillet or maybe a favorite rolling pin, it is often gifted to a young couple just starting out or passed down from generation to generation. Mastering the Art of French Cooking also opened the door to Julia's television career. Here's a clip from the very first episode of The French Chef from Boston Public Television in 1963. I'm Julia Child. Welcome to The French Chef and the first show on our series on French cooking. We're going to make boeuf bourguignon, beef stew, and red wine. And it's a wonderful show to begin our series on because it shows you so many useful things about French cooking. How to brown meat, how to braise onions, how to saute mushrooms, how to make a wonderful sauce. And you make a boeuf bourguignon just the way you make any other kind of a stew, like chicken, coquelin, you can make lamb this way or veal this way. And now here's our beef. Over the past year, as we've taped homemade, it became apparent that the majority of my guests have some very deep connection to Julia. They've shared stories and memories of working directly with her and how their own passion in the kitchen was first ignited by watching Julia on television and discovering a love for life, food, and cooking. Before we get into great conversations with Alex Guarnaschelli, Jacques and Claudine Pepin, Dory Greenspan, 
Scott Peacock, and Sarah Moulton, here's a clip of my buddy, Chef Amberell from the Food Network show, Worst Cooks in America, chatting about how she connected with Julia through the television as a kid. Speaking of your hometown and being there right now with your whole family, did you grow up in a home of good cooks? My mom was a great cook. And we always had a big garden out in the backyard. So she'd be like, go out and pick lettuce or tomatoes or dig up potatoes for dinner. I loved doing that. I loved being involved in the garden. I mean, I didn't like to weed it, but I liked to plant it. And I liked to harvest and then use all the stuff. That was always exciting. So my mom was an amazing cook, so she was very inspirational to me. But I also watched, and my mom swears that it's because of this, because of Julia Child, that Like I went to my mom when I was three and I was like, mom, I have a friend named Julie. She said, you do? Who? And I was like, Julie Child, I watch her every day. So my mom really swears that it's Julia, but I swear it's my mom. My mom was amazing. On a previous episode of Homemade, Iron Chef Alex Guarnaschelli talked with me about how Julia helped pave the way for her and other female chefs around the world. I spent 10 years of my life cooking French food, which is sort of what my mom always did. My mom would watch Julia's child, write everything down, go to the store, buy the ingredients and make the dish, you know, like out of a movie. Right. I feel like it's a Julie and Julia movie. She would do that. Listen, every single chef, I mean, almost without fail, that I've had on this podcast has said something about how Julia Child influenced their cooking or their mom's cooking or how they came to food was from that. Wouldn't she just be blown away to know that she'd had that kind of lasting influence on all of us? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And now you're doing that for a whole new generation, Alex. I don't know if you realize that, but I'm sure you do to some degree. But through your work on Food Network and your teaching and what you've done with your TV shows and your and your books, you're, you're inspiring a whole new generation. And the fact that you're an Iron Chef helps a lot of young girls see what's possible. I mean, thank you. I think um, that's really the added layer of Julia Child is when she turns around and empowers so many women because what she did was so extraordinary and unusual. And she was just sort of driven by an idea and she knew what her idea was and it wasn't going to be any other way. I don't know. I guess I'm driven by an idea in a similar fashion. I'm not saying I'm Julia Child. Don't get me wrong. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I definitely knew I wanted to be an Iron Chef. I've always known that I wanted to cook and I've just sort of never let go of those simple ideas. Next up, Baker and James Beard Award-winning cookbook author Dory Greenspan told me all about Julia's notorious frugality and her methods for saving every bit of an ingredient. I laughed when I saw you on that Martha Stewart show where you were saying when you were working with Julia, if you'd left one little drop of anything, she would go back and get it and put it in the bowl. I think that's a funny story. Will you tell about that? Oh, so I, I worked with Julia Child, the wonderful, fabulous treasure. When I worked with Julia, so I, I love this. When I worked with Julia. I know. I can't even believe you get to say that when I worked with Julia. I still can't. I still can't. So it was for the series that she did called Baking with Julia. And it was a PBS show. There were 26 episodes. So there were 26 different bread bakers and pastry chefs. 
And they came to Julia's house in Cambridge and baked with her in her kitchen. And Julia, she was so wonderful. She was so attentive. She would follow everything very carefully. She always knew the right question to ask. She always knew before you as a viewer could think, now, why did they warm that egg? Julia would ask, why did you warm that egg? She was just, she was so great. So the chefs would be working and inevitably they would just take the mixing bowl, scrape the batter into a pan and then take the bowl, you know, and just behind them was the sink and they would just put it in the sink. And Julia would turn, walk to the sink, inspect the bowl. And if there was even a tablespoon of batter left, she'd grab the spatula and put it back. And I think about that all the time. Well, I think about her for a trillion reasons, but every time I use my hands as I'm doing something, which I do all the time, I think they're the best kitchen tool we have. I think of Julia and I think, I'm using my impeccably clean hands to make this. <laughs> and I look at the bowl and I scrape it and I think of Julia scraping the bowl. What an amazing reflection and memory that is to be able to say, I did that and it influences me every day. She really influenced our whole country and still does. I think she changed our culinary world. I think she did. And I watched that Julia, Julie, Julia movie a million times. And I have in my head, you know, what that must have been like going through the process of creating that amazing book that has really become the standard for French cooking in America. And all these years later, wouldn't she be so thrilled to know that we're still talking about her? She's still just as relevant. It's really remarkable. I want to suggest a book that I just loved it so much, and I think that you would as well and and our listeners. It's called, as always, Comma Julia. And it's a book of letters that Julia wrote to Ava DeVoto, who was the woman who helped her get Mastering the Art of French Cooking published in America. And the letters are both charming and touching, and you really get a sense of the work that Julia did. She's in France writing these letters, and Avis is in Cambridge. And you get a sense of how hard it was to develop those recipes, how concerned Julia was about their being exactly accurate, how they would work for Americans. When I finished that book, I was so sad because I missed the company of two intelligent, curious, generous women. Stay tuned for more stories and lessons from Julia with Jacques and Claudine Pepin, Sarah Moulton, and Chef Scott Peacock. We'll be right back after the break. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back to Homemade. Legendary chef Jacques Pepin hosted several television programs with Julia over the years, so I definitely wanted to ask him and his daughter Claudine about their decades-long relationship with Julia 
and their favorite memories of her. So many of the guests that I've had on this program, on this homemade podcast, have talked about the influences of Julia on them growing up, especially the female chefs. And many of them have said that that was their first initiation into cooking is watching Julia and watching you on television. And it inspired them to become chefs. I'm sorry if I ruined your life. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think all these years later, she would think about that fact that she is still influencing the next generations of chefs up and coming and especially female chefs? I think she would be very happy. Yeah, I think she would be because, you know, Julia, I met her in 1960. When I started doing show with her, she always told me, you're too serious. You know, this is television. You have to smile. And and it's true. She was absolutely right to say that you have to show people that cooking is fun. But, you know, even for that, at the end of each of the show, she would say, okay, what did we teach them today? There was always a teaching element, which was important. You know? I wondered which one of you brought the campy, fun, quirky, like coming out with a fire extinguisher or something like that. Was that you or was that her? That was the bottle of wine you did that. <laughs> After a bottle of wine. I love the fact that you always ended your show with a nice glass of wine or a drink and a toast. Yeah, we we always did, except when we had Jess Jackson, because the show was sponsored with Kendall Jackson. He was a friend of mine. They flew from California to come to her house and look at one of the show to take us out for dinner after. So on that day, uh, I cooked whatever we cooked that day. We drank wine. And at the end, I told Julia, uh, what, what do you want? Do you want a Merlot with that or a bit of caviar? And she said, I want a beer. So <laughs> <laughs> she wanted a beer because the sponsor who does wine was here. So that was Julia. Yeah. Well, so tell me your favorite Julia story. Uh, uh, there's a million of them. I know that would be hard to pick one. And I want both of you to share with us your favorite story of Julia Child. I don't know if I could actually pick a favorite story of Julia. I think one thing that I remember having happen was we were all in Aspen at Food and Wine, which my dad and Julia and I would go to, and my dad and I would do demonstrations, or my dad and Julia, and it was a whole big thing. And we were at a restaurant that had just opened, and so it was pretty new, and they were working out the kinks and so on, and this sprinkler system exploded. Oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> right before we were going to get our main course and everything got soaked. But we had a ton of appetizers on the table. Now the chef was just humiliated, distraught and just because I mean whole kitchen soaked. And my dad and Julia in particular said, "Just come sit down with us. Have a glass of wine. We have bread, we have cheese, we have pate, we have all the stuff you sent." We have more than enough food. Nobody's going to die of starvation. Open up a bottle of wine. And this kid was so like, he was like shaken, but he was so relieved because all she, she said to him, she was like, if your kitchen had not exploded like this, you would not be able to sit with us at the table. Like she had a way of just making you feel good about whatever disaster happened. (laughs) That is a wonderful story. But you know, I knew Julia before I knew Claudine, of course. Claudine wasn't born. So since Claudine was born, she knew Julia and imitated her voice. So I remember my wife, Gloria, and I eating at the table and Claudine would come and imitate Julia. So I remember one time the telephone 
rang and Gloria picked it up and she said, okay, Claudine, stop it. We're eating. What do you want? And all of a sudden she said, no, no, I'm sorry, Julia. No, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll get him right away. So her imitation is very good. Yeah. All right, Claudine, you're going to have to do that for us. Let's hear it. Oh, I have to stand up if I do that. Okay, stand up. <laughs> Let's hear it. So, yeah, so she would call and go, hello, this is Julia Childs. Is Jacques there, please? And it was hysterical because she would actually tell you who she was. Because, <laughs> like, you wouldn't know. Like, you wouldn't know. But, yeah, that's the only imitation I can do. <laughs> I reached out to one of the original stars of Food Network, Sarah Moulton. We'll have a full episode with Sarah later this season, but for now, here's an exclusive clip where Sarah details how she got hired by Julia and what you might expect if you were lucky enough to be invited to a dinner party at Julia's house. Your first TV experience was with Julia. How did you make it there? I mean, how does that even happen? Well, I've had lots of good luck in my life, right place, right time kind of thing. I was in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1978. Well, I was there starting in 77, right when I graduated from cooking school. And in 78, I was the chef manager of a catering operation in Cambridge. And I hated catering, but it was a stepping stone to a restaurant job. And we were peeling a million hard-boiled eggs, me and one of my workers, and we started talking about Julia. Because Julia didn't boil her eggs. She had this whole method, which is much better than boiling eggs, to get hard-cooked eggs. And this young lady said, oh, you know, I'm a volunteer on her show. I was like, really? And so I said, do you think Julia could take another volunteer? And she said, well, yeah, let me ask her. And so she came in the next day and said, I told Julia all about you, and she wants to hire you. Wow. So I went down to the corner payphone, called up Julia. Julia got right on the phone. She was listed. And the first question she asked me was, oh, dearie, do you food style? I'd never done it professionally in 1978. It wasn't, you know, the deal that it is. It's, you don't get the training you do now. So I thought real long and hard, and I lied. And I said, <laughs> yes, I was really good. So I got the job. Sometimes I tell that story to young people who I might be mentoring that sometimes you have to take a leap. You have to, you know, do yes. that. Have you yeah. done that? Oh, yes, lots of times. And then figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll get it. I want to go back to those eggs for a minute. So I don't guess I knew this. I know a lot about Julia. But what was the secret to the eggs? They, she didn't boil them. Did she bake them? No. The way Julia did it was she'd put her eggs in cold. Oh, she did weird things, too, like Julia always did. She would prick them at, with a little pin so that they didn't expect. I don't remember quite what the logic was, but the important part, the real nugget was she'd put the eggs in cold water, bring them up to a boil, just to a boil, take them off the heat and cover them and give them, say, 14 minutes without the boiling and then immediately drain them and put them in the ice water. Now, what this did is if you don't boil them, the whites are much more tender. And B, if you get them right into ice water, you cool them down very fast. You don't get that green line between the yolk and the white. Speaking of Julia and your experience with her, is there a favorite story? 
Oh, gosh. Well, let me just say a couple things. She, First of all, she was one of the funniest people I ever met, hands down. Really, sincerely funny. Because she was so smart and so refreshingly honest. She would just call it for what it was. And she would take you off guard and you just... It was She was hysterical. Two things. One is that she wasn't pretentious, even though one would think she was, because she made all these fancy dishes. You know, you'd watch her and she'd do all this elaborate stuff and then tell you how easy it was. And it wasn't didn't look remotely easy. Right. But at any rate, I love that about her. She threw dinner parties. We would go over to her house and cook together. And in the middle of the whole thing, she would say, aren't we having so much fun? But if she didn't feel like making a fancy hors d'oeuvre, she always had a stash of Pepperidge Farm goldfish in the cupboard. (laughs) And that's what she would serve. And she sincerely loved them. The other thing at dinner parties was at the end when we were all done and everybody was finished with their dessert, she'd have us all retired to the living room and she'd show that Dan Aykroyd Saturday Night Live parody of herself. She loved it. Oh, that's hysterical. I didn't know she'd ever seen it. Oh, I love that. So I'm going to close my eyes and I want you to tell me what it's like being a guest at Julia's house for a dinner party. I mean, what would it felt like? You would arrive and Paul Child would get you some sort of wonderful drink or perhaps a bit of champagne, chilled champagne. And then if we had made hors d'oeuvres, that would be passed. And everybody would hang out in the kitchen for a while because that was the place. And then the table, we would have set the table beautifully with napkins and flatware and glasses and flowers. And then we'd sit down and have a fantastic conversation, you know, or or in the summer, she had a little teeny weeny backyard. In recent history, um, my dad, who just passed away two years ago, lived in Cambridge, and I would walk around when I was visiting, because I think Cambridge is so pretty, and I made a point of going back to her house. And it was so much smaller than I remembered it. It was tall, but in terms of the front lawn and back lawn, I thought they were, you know, tremendous. And they weren't. I mean, I didn't exactly snoop around in the back. But from where I was, I could see that it was pretty small. But sometimes we go back and have an aperitif in the backyard. So that was fun, too. But it was very convivial. I mean, the thing that Julia understood besides teaching people about how to make French cuisine is how to enjoy life and culture the way the French did and how to dine. It's not just about feeding yourself. It's about everything else that goes with it. It's the experience. It's the the people. And even to the china, the serving pieces, all of that plays a big part in it. So I'm there. I get my aperitif. What might her favorite, what was her go-to, her favorite dinner party dish. Was it the famous beef bourguignon or what was it? You know, it changed according to who the guest was. So if it was a French friend, it would be a French meal. Otherwise, it was whatever she was in the mood for. I remember one time it was, I think it was her 80th birthday party and there was like 12 of us there celebrating and cooking. And I remember getting into an argument with Jeffrey Steingarten, and now I agree with him, but back then I didn't. For people who don't know who he is, he's a great writer. He used to write a regular column for Vogue, and he's very entertaining and very thoughtful. He believed that you should season the steak before you cook it. And I said, absolutely not. You should season the steak after you cook it because you're going to make it sweat. Well, now I know that he's 100% right. And as a matter of fact, it'd be better if we seasoned it a whole hour ahead of time. You know, so 
it's funny how things change, but it's something as simple. We probably did a compound butter to go with it, you know, with basil and shallots and um, garlic maybe. And, um, you know, Julia tended towards the French. But sounds like for these kinds of events that she would try to keep it a little bit more simple. Yeah. Probably so she could have some fun at her own party. Right. I mean, one of the things about Julia that was amazing is because, of course, everybody wanted to talk to her about food 24-7. And I'm sure most of us wanted to impress her with our deep knowledge and how cool we were in the culinary department. But really, she got tired of that. I mean, she... She wanted to talk about movies. She wanted to talk about culture. She wanted to talk about politics. She was a very lively individual. Okay, here's the big question. Was she really in the CIA or not? Did she ever tell you the truth? Well, no, here's the thing. I, here's my understanding. So she was part of, you're right, the precursor to the CIA, which was the OSS. And her job technically was as a secretary. and. Paul's job was as a map maker. So they worked together. So, um, you know, what can I tell you? Yeah, okay, I get it. But I don't see her with sunglasses, you know, sort of <laughs> sneaking around on the periphery. With a dossier under her arm. No, I, I think, you know, she'd stick out like a sore thumb anyway. She was 6'3". I mean, you know, so <laughs> forget about it. Well, I feel like there must have been a couple of really great tips that she gave you early on in those first weeks that you were there. Can you recall, like, something that she taught you that has stuck with you that you continue to teach now? Oh, my God. There are so many. I I will say one of the biggest ones, and it's the one that I taught Rachel Ray, and Rachel would agree, which is that when you do TV, you must smile. True, true, true. Because nobody even needs to explain the reason, but if you think about it, when you smile, it, it's sort of like you're selling your point that much better. You know, it's like, yes, you too should make Cucklevan. Yes, and it's easy because I'm smiling. Yes, and you must believe me. So I would say that's the biggie, but there were many others. As a home cook, and this is one I try to share with everybody, is never apologize, never explain. So when you have people over for dinner, don't tell them everything you did wrong. They're so glad that you made dinner and they didn't. So don't ruin it for them by saying, oh, it needed more salt. I should have reduced it. I should have added acid. You know, don't do that. Yes, I have the worst habit of doing that. And we all do. Me too. I am going to take that and put it in my pocket and keep it because I'm going to stop doing that. We have one of those refrigerators. You can't really put magnets on the front. We have a tiny little square on the side where you can put magnets. My niece had a, a magnet about this big made with Julia Child on it saying, never apologize, never explain. So it's right there anytime I'm making dinner for guests so I can try to control myself. <laughs> Finally today, I'm joined by James Beard, award-winning chef, cookbook author, and biscuit king, Scott Peacock, who has some wonderful memories with Julia to share. Chef, I know you have had a lot of influences in your life and your career, but one of them is Julia Child. Can you tell me about that? She was extremely important, remains important. As a child, I mean, she was a portal 
through the television uh, into another world of cooking. It was very different cooking than what I was familiar with. It was very exotic. She was different than anyone I'd ever seen or heard before. Her kitchen was different, her pots and pans, everything. It was very inviting. And the first cookbook I ever got was a paperback version from one of her shows. It wasn't the mastering, the art of French cooking that came. I didn't get those until I was in college. Yeah. And the first quote unquote fancy recipe I ever made was Julia Child's chocolate mousse, which took me hours and hours to make, but was very successful. She always gave you everything you needed to know how to make something and a thousand substitutions in case you lived in Hartford, Alabama in the 1970s and didn't have access to, you know, fancy ingredients. And then I was very lucky to meet her a few times and to cook for her a couple of times. And I do not remember the book she was promoting at the time, but Carolyn O'Neill in Atlanta, who had been the food reporter at CNN for many years, invited me to come over and asked if I would make scones for her from Carolyn's mother's recipe. And I did. And we had a pleasant visit. And then it turned out during the breakfast that she was going to be in town for a couple of days. And she asked if I would fry chicken for her. And I did. And Miss Lewis was living in Atlanta by then and knew Julia. And I had been doing a lot of hearth cooking at the Atlanta History Center in the Tully Smith Farm kitchen, the hearth kitchen. And so in very short order, put together and cooked a meal of fried chicken and several other things and baked a pound cake in the hearth. We had biscuits and had this wonderful outdoor luncheon with Julia and her niece and some people from the History Center and, of course, Miss Lewis underneath the Muscadine Arbor. It was, it was picturesque. And then I was extraordinarily lucky to see her just a few weeks before she died, actually. And I was in Montecito in Santa Barbara for something and ended up being invited to dinner at the very last minute. And Julia was going to be there and we were seated next to each other and had an absolutely delightful and fascinating evening that I cherish very, very much. And two legends that were so important to you. Miss Lewis and Julia, and you had dinner with the two of them together and then had dinner with Julia right before yes. she passed away. Well, that that's amazing. That is amazing. I pinch myself. I bet you do. I'm going to pinch you when I see you. Just make sure. I mean, you have to think about it sometimes and like, did that really happen or did I make that up? Do you think she would be shocked at the influence that she has had on so many of our great cooks today, our great chefs, and how important she still is. Do you think she'd be surprised by that? That's a good question. I don't really feel like I knew her well enough to speak to that. But I, you know, I remember when she was on the cover of Time magazine and when they sent the first, I don't even know what you called it, it wasn't a time capsule, but you remember when they were sending like space missions out to other galaxies and they included in the first one an episode of one of her television shows uh, because that's how significant and iconic she had become in American culture. And I do think she lived long enough to see that people like, for example, Martha Stewart and myself, I'm sure she heard an awful lot that I learned to cook from watching you or from reading your books. She is definitely having a resurgence because not that long after she had died, I remember I was asked to speak at Emory University, indicator there where I lived for so long. 
And it was a group of college students, and I made a Julia Child reference, and they didn't know who I was talking about. And I couldn't believe that. I, and I found it shocking and disturbing. And I'm grateful that that moment has passed and that now Julia has risen again in the American consciousness, in the culinary consciousness. Thank you to all of our guests today. And thank you for joining me on this special episode dedicated to Julia Child. And as Julia used to say, bon appetit. Coming up on the next episode of Homemade, I'll be joined by award-winning chef Ashley Christensen and her partner, food writer Caitlin Golan. Their new book, It's Always Freezer Season, How to Freeze Like a Chef with 100 Make-Ahead Recipes, will show us all how to get the most out of our groceries. The freezer, I think, is often thought of as a, a tool for convenience and not as much for preservation. And so... What we really wanted to set out to do is like the freezer is your MVP in the kitchen. It gives you convenience. It gives you the ability to sustain the seasons. It gives you the ability to reduce waste. It gives you the ability to impress your friends at a moment's notice and look like, you know, amazing when they come over unprompted and you've got like snacks ready to go. There are so many great tips on that episode. You don't want to miss it. So subscribe to the podcast right now. And please, we'd love your feedback. If you could, rate this podcast and leave us a review. I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget, you can find thousands of recipes, meal ideas, and cooking how-tos from the world's largest community of cooks at allrecipes.com. This podcast was recorded in Birmingham, edited in Atlanta, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Homemade is produced by All Recipes with digital content director Jason Burnett. Thanks to our Pod People production team, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Danielle Roth, Jim Hankey, Maya Croft, and Erica Wong. I'm Marty Duncan, and this is Homemade.